Hi there and welcome to The Brave. I am your host, Beth and Vincent, and The Brave podcast is an exploration of resilience, survival and change in the 21st century. From communities to companies, we uncover how systems, people and places can become adaptable, robust and resilient in this age of constant change. We're essentially concerned with the future. What's going to happen? How do we know what's going to happen? How do we adapt to it? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad for us? We're asking the big questions and the little questions too. And this week we are looking upwards. We are looking to the heavens, to the skies, to think about space and the opportunities of space. And it's quite interesting. The space industry is something that I've always kind of been aware of. It's a thing, you know, we have satellites and all of that kind of stuff, but it's it's in the background. It's not like where the exciting stuff, especially in the tech industry, really, really is. But actually, the UK space industry has trebled in size since the year 2000. And it we have actually as a country a 5.1% share of the global space market, which is equivalent to 14.8 billion. So that's something not to be sniffed at. And after years of space and the space industry kind of being a relic of the past, you know, we have the space race, we're done. We went to the moon, fine, it's all over now. We're actually starting to look upwards again and thinking about, okay, right, what is the next phase of space travel? What's it going to look like? What's the technology that's required? You know, obviously, Elon Musk and SpaceX is is a big part of that narrative and has made space exciting again. But alongside, I guess, the kind of uh, philosophical questions about, you know, are we the only ones out there? Are we going to go to Mars and all of that? There's also a lot of commercial opportunity in space, which is what I'm quite interested in on this podcast and this episode in particular. And to talk to us about space and especially the context of the space industry in the UK, I spoke to Melissa Thorpe, who is the interim head of Spaceport Cornwall, and I really wanted to dig into her, you know, what is the state of space at the moment in the space industry here in the UK? You know, what are we kind of pursuing? What are our capabilities? What's being built? Because there's a lot of infrastructure being built at the moment. And also, in terms of an industry, if it is going to be a big part of our future, what are the skills? What are the opportunities that are required by this industry? And hopefully it'll give some people maybe some inspiration to enter into the space industry and understand, you know, it's not necessarily just about astronauts. Um, There's a whole range of skill sets that are required to make the space industry, you know, really part of the UK's, I guess, performance in the future. But I'll hand over to Melissa. As you can tell in this episode, space is I'm a fan in kind of a sci-fi sense, um, but not an expert. And Melissa really fills in a lot of the gaps. So I really hope you enjoy this one. It was fascinating to me. And and, and a topic I really didn't know much about, but now I feel like I should know more about. Great. So I'm Melissa Thorpe and I'm the interim head of Spaceport Cornwall. I've been part of the project um, since its inception in, when was that, 2016, really. Um, So I've been involved since day one, which has been a roller coaster, um, Spaceport Cornwall is the UK's horizontal space launch um, site down at Cornwall Airport, Newquay. We were initially kind of shortlisted as that back in 2016 alongside other spaceports around the UK. And that's all part of the UK Space Agency's um, Launch UK program to get a sovereign launch capability in the UK. So horizontal launch, is that similar to kind of SpaceX where it's a rocket standing upright, there's no runway involved? Uh, Horizontal launch, no, is very different. Um, So that's quite a traditional uh, vertical launch, which, you know, is what pretty much everybody knows of of space launch. But what we're doing with Virgin Orbit at the airport is using the facilities, including the runway, 
to launch midair. So basically it's an aircraft carrying a rocket under one of its wings, the 747, that will take off at the end of the runway, go out to about 35,000 feet where it deploys the rocket that then goes up into lower um, Earth orbit. So it's a different way of launching. It's midair. Like I said, the, the rocket drops off the wing and, and goes goes into space, whereas the carrier aircraft can come back and do it again. So part of it's reusable. Um, it's, it's a new technology that was just proven on on Sunday. So all very exciting and all very innovative. And it's it's for us, it's kind of the way that small satellite launch is going to be happening in the future is kind of using existing and modified um, assets and systems to get to space. And that lowers the cost of accessing space. Yeah, and I guess that question shows how little I know about kind of UK space capabilities at the moment. And I guess kind of the space sector, it's something I think I'm hearing more and more about recently, um, especially because the, as you say, the economics of it have just got so much better. So in terms of the UK, what what kind of does the space industry look like in the UK at the moment? Um, It's an interesting one. We are heavy hitters in certain areas. Um, the UK space industry currently makes up about 5% of the whole global marketplace in space. Um, but what the UK government wants to do is, is to grow that to 10%. So we want to double that um, by 2030. And part of that is this launch program. So we, we are incredible at building satellites, developing and building satellites here in the UK, small satellites. Um, we actually build a large proportion of the world's small, small satellites. But what we don't have here is that launch capability. So at the minute... Um, UK satellite manufacturers are building them, but then they have to ship them overseas to launch. And actually to their bottom line, that's it's a risk because not only in time, but storage. And, and at the minute they're piggybacking or hitchhiking off of larger um, launches like the ones you mentioned with SpaceX. So it's hard for small satellite manufacturers in the UK to, to get into space. And what we're trying to do is to give them that access. We'll grow the entire kind of ecosystem of satellites here in the UK by having a launch capability. Um, but the industry itself is incredible. Uh, it's growing. It's, you know, high, highly skilled people involved in it. Um, and, you know, like you said, it's, it's kind of now on the front page again. And obviously space enjoyed that with Apollo program and, and the shuttle program. And now this new wave of entrepreneurs and the commercialization of space has just made, you know, it exciting again. So we want to really capitalize on that because, you know, for us, not only to get a launch in the UK, but also to inspire the next generation to get into STEM careers, whether that's space or not. It's just a huge tool for us to use in the UK, and especially somewhere like Cornwall, that's a deprived area. So, you know, massive benefits. And it's, it's exciting to see space become cool again. Yeah, definitely. And um, that's something I think that SpaceX can take some of the credit for. I think that's fair to say. But it's definitely you're hearing a lot more about it, as I've said in the news at the moment. And in terms of kind of the satellites and I guess the capabilities they're enabling, is it mostly kind of um, telecommunications or is it more kind of geolocation services and things like that? What, What are they actually doing? Yeah, exactly. It's a whole array. It still blows me away after being in the industry for for six years, what technologies are doing in space and the applications of that technology and the data that's coming back down. So everything from telecommunications uh, and, and providing internet to areas that have never had it before. So we're almost, you know, s- small villages in Africa are able to completely bypass the fiber system and just go straight to satellite communications. Um, so it's opening up that world to new areas. So 
satcoms is a huge one. Obviously, GPS and navigation is something that all of us use every single day. Um, weather monitoring, again, we all use it every single day. Um, but there's more, you know, quite different ways that we, I don't think we really appreciate how space impacts our everyday life and every kind of um, tech uh, industry as well uses it, whether that's agri-tech. Agri so farmers now are becoming more efficient by driverless tractors or crop monitoring. But for me, the really exciting bit of it is actually the um, monitoring of climate change because Earth observation satellites are able to provide real-time, unbiased kind of, you know, a picture that says a thousand words of what we're doing to this planet. And nobody can argue that. And that's starting to influence policy. Um, so we saw that during the lockdown, there's some images that went around from um, a ESA satellite. And that satellite showed before and after of the lockdown in Northern Italy when it first started and the carbon emissions and how the difference was. And that's actually um, impacted the policy decisions made on things like tourism in Venice, for instance. So, you know, space technology is powerful. And I think, unfortunately, there's still a bit of a disconnect between the average person understanding how much they use space every single day. Um, because... Yeah, I just think we just take it for granted. Um, and that's been interesting for us to try and um, almost translate that, that story because um, what we saw here in Cornwall when we were going through the process of securing the investment for it is people didn't really understand why we needed satellites, what they did, and why it was important to get new technologies into space. Um, so satellites play a massive role in our lives day to day from a Nana ordering pers her prescriptions online to a mum doing the school run and, and seeing what the best route is to protecting our forces overseas. So it's, it's huge. Um, and everything from banking to, um, medical. And we saw that with COVID as well. You know, a lot of some of the technology that they're using for the medical industry is, is space. So, you know, the importance of space in our modern lives is huge. Yeah, and vastly probably underestimated and underemphasized as well. And I'm really intrigued because Cornwall, because I actually first found out about the spaceport through meeting some of your colleagues at um, the Women in Tech event, the Women of Silicon oh, yeah. Valley event. And yeah. I went up to them and I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Oh, there's a spaceport in the UK. Oh, it's in Cornwall. <laughs> what is going on there? So I guess kind of why Cornwall? Yeah, and you're not the first one. I mean, we, for the beginning, we've been everything by that shock to surprise to complete, you know, laughing in our faces. We've had it all. But I think initially we were shortlisted. It was a desktop exercise. They were looking for length of a runway, direct access to the sea, low residential buildup, the airspace. Um, so that was quite important, obviously, to tick all those boxes. Um, but what we've realized here is the appetite in Cornwall for, you know, that pioneering technology, you know, and that. In Cornwall, the heritage of Cornwall and being at the forefront of the Industrial Revolution, the people down here in the community here is, you know, is innovative and they are almost used to going out to the world and showing off, you know, the, the, the modern technologies that we have here. So as much as everybody knows Cornwall as a tourism, surfing, hospitality destination, you know, scratch beneath the surface and there's incredible stuff going on here. Um, and working with Virgin, you know, when we went out to the markets, because what UK Space Agency didn't want was a build that they will come. They wanted us to ensure that we had somebody that wanted to use it. And Virgin actually, you know, approached us because they saw we were capable as a site, but also because Cornwall fits very well with, with the Virgin brand and the progressiveness of Cornwall and the kind of future thinking. And so we fit really well with the Virgin family. 
Um, but I think for for us as a team, it, the support, polit- local political support, it is a risk for Cornwall Council to invest in a spaceport. Um, but what an amazing you know opportunity as well. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity for kind of economic growth in somewhere like Cornwall. So to diversify away from the traditional sectors into space um, is 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 a big is a big thing I would say for a local um, uh, local government to do and. So I think there's a lot of reasons why Cornwall, we were kind of set for it. We have the right environment, but also I think we have the right people down here that think that way. So, Yeah, definitely. And having kind of Virgin Galactic involved and like ready and willing from day one almost must be an amazing partnership. So are they looking uh, at that from almost a kind of space travel perspective? Is that what they're aiming to do in the future? Um, so Richard Branson actually has two space companies. He has Virgin Galactic that you just mentioned, um, and that's human spaceflight. And then he has Virgin Orbit. And we're actually just working with Virgin Orbit, which is the satellite launch company of um, the Virgin Group. And they're looking at launching um, small satellites. And that's basically to try and bring down the cost of accessing space and provide dedicated launch. So you're not hitchhiking on launches anymore. You can book your slot and that's yours. Um, Virgin Galactic is obviously gets the headlines for being, you know, tourism. But actually what you're seeing now with human space flight is, is the... Uh, amazing possibilities with things like, um, for instance, they're looking at testing cancer research in space. So in microgravity, to be able to send your um, your test tube up into space and get it back within 24 hours and see what the impact of microgravity, this is game changing for the medical industry, for instance. So actually the kind of academia side of getting humans into space and the R&D of what that could look like, um, that's where the real exciting stuff with human spaceflight is happening obviously the tourism is fantastic and the thing about the tourism side i know they get a lot of, of flack for oh high net with individuals going to see but what that does is you know every astronaut that you talk to that's seen the curvature of the earth it completely changed their perspective on on earth and what we need to do to protect it and so when you when you think about a lot of these high net worth individuals um, who are very influential going up to see that curvature of the earth can only imagine hopefully that what that will influence them to do um so there's two sides of that i would say for that we at the minute don't have any plans to do um to do human spaceflight at anuki we need to just to just completely um prove capability and satellite launch first in the uk not to say that it won't be in the future but i think they need to get it done first in the us um they're you know quite a far advanced than us with human spaceflight but that's something i I would say you know 10-15 years away from from the uk but obviously in the future you never know that that's so exciting to think about even 10 to 15 years that's not that long you know in like the human time span no not at all and I say I have a five-year-old daughter and you know I say to her you'll this will be normal for you know in in your lifetime people will go on trips you know to to space like it's coming and it's coming fast and I know it's taking a long time to get to that point but the kind of you know, what we're seeing for from Jeff Bezos with Blue Origin and with New Shepard and obviously Elon uh, with SpaceX and now Richard Branson with Virgin Galactic, they're all just slowly just pushing, pushing and suddenly it's speeding up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's incredibly exciting. Yeah. And in terms of, so you had the successful launch on Saturday. What Are there any kind of next big things coming up that we can kind of look out for and be like, yes, that's another step taken? Yeah, I think obviously over in California, them just continuing to do launches and to prove that kind of commercialization um, and watch along with what 
payloads are putting up into space with satellites. So that was um, 10 NASA satellites that they um, put up on the weekend that were all built by students. So that's obviously really ex exciting. Um, but for us over here in Cornwall, the next milestone, that was a really big milestone for us to prove that technology. Um, but we are pretty much ready to get on site and start to do our infrastructure works, which is, you know, spade in the ground, but also for us to see some, um, you know, something physical happening. We've been on this project for six years, but it's kind of all been up there and uh, in emails. And now to see it on site is going to be, you know, it's going to, it's going to be really, really big moment for us as a team. So we're looking at nothing major, but um, just, you know, enhancements to the existing asset. Um, so on site, projects it will be a big milestone for us and then we're hoping to have a year to launch countdown um coming this spring which will be again very exciting we're looking to release our sustainability action plan um which again will be great but probably the biggest milestone we'll see this year is the um the uk space agency department for transport and, and civil aviation authority are releasing the regulations for spaceflight in the UK. So at the minute we don't have any legislation saying we can we can um, operate. So that was going through parliament and we should have that towards the end of the summer is that um, that regulations which will then apply for a spaceport license to operate. So a lot of work behind the scenes already started on that. Um, uh, so yeah, that'll be another, another big, big piece of work and a big milestone to get over. And yeah. then we're countdown to launch really early 22. So yeah, big year, yeah. big year. Ahead. That's that's so exciting. And I guess obviously you need the public sector to be on board and kind of behind things like this. But when it comes to kind of innovation, obviously private companies have really been leading the way recently in space innovation, which is very different to what we saw in kind of the 1960s and whatever, where it was big top down government. How would you say kind of innovation is split? Is it split in that way or is it much more collaborative than I'm imagining? Um, yeah, I guess it depends where you are. Um, in the UK, you see a lot of kind of partnerships happening, whether that's funding from UK space agency and government going into some of these private companies or enabling, you know, accessing certain areas. So you're seeing a lot of collaboration um, in the UK because of its infancy in certain areas. Um, I think that's needed. But as it's growing, you're starting to see big players pulling away. Um, and And that's quite quite interesting to watch obviously the space agencies have a regulatory um uh duty so they're always going to be involved in one way or another um we love what startups are doing in this industry it's you know from the u.s to to over here some of the stuff that's coming through um is is amazing um from you know looking at space debris and how we're going to solve that problem um and and things like the environmental side and and I think what's the most exciting is that these are starting to be invested in whereas before even when I first started um, investors weren't really interested and now because um, sustainability is on the top of everybody's agenda now which it should be you're starting to see investment in those kind of technologies and even in space um so the startup is is really exciting so we call it the new space industry um which almost splits it away from that state-led kind of traditional space sectors that are led by governments and sovereign states. And now we're looking at this new space industry, which is much more commercially driven, much more entrepreneurial. Um, so there is a big split happening, but we're still, because of the regulatory environment, still need that, that um, input from the state. 
Yeah. And in terms of kind of, I guess, digging into the innovation question a bit more, is it, and I don't know if this is a stupid question, actually, but is it more driven by hardware innovation and like physical innovation in terms of the actual assets you require to get you into space? Or are you finding it's actually coming from the kind of software, more technology side in terms of like the systems, the compute, the data and things like that? Or is it, again, a mixture of both? It's completely a mixture. Um, the industry talk about upstream and downstream technologies. Uh, obviously, we're kind of focused on the upstream, but where the value is, I would say, is downstream. And what you're seeing in innovation with, you know, the kind of hardware side is making things smaller and lighter. Um, so whether that's um, launching constellations or making things, you know, from what used to be the size of a fridge freezer down to a tiny thing that can fit in your hand doing more powerful um, stuff in space. So the hardware side is is innovating so quick. Um, and then the software side, again, it's, it's almost, it's, it's endless opportunity of what, you know, software can and the data can do um, from, you know, all applications across across the, the piece. So, yeah, innovations in both. You go to a conference, well, before the pandemic, you go to a conference and you'd be blown away by both sides of it because they're almost having to work together to see how they can efficiently get up into space. And that's where the barrier has been is that accessing the space. So we have all this great innovation going on and the hardware and the software, but they all need to have that access to space. Um, hence where we come in is, is providing that access to players that have never been able to do that before. So the future of that is, is huge. And the market for small satellites is, is increasing, um, you know, exponentially. Um, so as, as innovation happens, that demand increases and we're just hoping that we can, we'll grow with it. Um, we're not going to go crazy at the beginning. We just need to see how that grows, that marketplace, especially after the pandemic. You know, where is that at? And start to get some data on, on that. But um, yeah, it's, it's exciting across both. Yeah. And it sounds like there's some kind of fantastic opportunities, as you were saying earlier, for inspiring people to get into STEM careers, but also providing them with those job roles that are in this new industry. So if people are kind of looking to get into space and I'm using air quotes here, how do they do that? What the, what's kind of available? What what are the kind of job roles that people are recruiting for? Again, it's across everything now. And that's the beauty of, of new space is it's, you know, you don't have to be an astrophysicist or an astronomer or um, even an astronaut anymore to be directly involved in space. You have from, you know, I say when I go in to speak to the schools, you can look at how do you grow food on the moon or Mars? What about advertising in space? What about, you know, keeping space peaceful and working with the space force, for instance. So there's just such a wide variety now of opportunity in space and almost it crosses every sector. Um, so like you said earlier, from the hardware side to the software side and using data for software programmers from AR or AI and VR to, um it's just it's just down it's it blows me away how how many jobs there are now related to space and I don't think people really even understand sometimes when they're working in the space industry because they think they're working maybe in like the the marine sector but actually what they're doing is using satellite technology on a daily basis to make their job more efficient so that's that's quite interesting we are trying to work with some of the companies you know down here that might traditionally think of themselves as a marine company but we're thinking oh that's a great fil filtration system have you thought about using that in in space 
you know, extreme, we in Cornwall, we do extreme environments very well. Um, so what about that? And we're again, going back to our history here, the mining industry. Um, so Camborne School of Mines down here, we're working with them really closely to look at how we can we look at not only using space, um, space applications to identify like the best places that resources can be found, but also things like, okay, what about mining an asteroid? Or the moon, what's that going to be like? And, and you know, our, our experience in Cornwall of, of extreme environments, or what if we take that skill set up to space? So, yeah, yeah, many points of entry. Obviously, if you want to be an astronaut, it's still very difficult. That hasn't changed, and there's the normal process to get into that. Um, usually, you tend to have to be a, a pilot of some sort. But, um, yeah, other than that, there's so many different ways. And the big kind of aerospace companies and technology companies are all kind of shifting towards space. It's become quite the hot topic i just think it's a huge opportunity for the uk to kind of um you know back something that's really exciting um and and future focus i think it's probably worth noting that the other sites in in the uk so there's other spaceports that have been announced um and i think there's tends to be this kind of thought that we're all in, in competition with one another but we're all working together because as we see it we want to promote uk launch um, globally and work together on that because this is going to be, you know, raise the profile of the UK as a launch um, nation. You know, there's, it's a very small club to be able to launch and, and we need to kind of go at it at all from all perspectives. So the vertical launch sites in Scotland, we're working really closely with because we're getting, we offer something different. So I think it's probably worth noting that, you know, this is a, a UK launch proposition and, and it's Scotland and Cornwall and even Wales um, that are all working together to kind of create this market opportunity, especially post-Brexit. If people want to find out more about the Spaceport and your work, where should they head? Oh, we're online, definitely. So obviously our website is actually quite old. We're about to, to do a new one. Find us on social media. I'd say Twitter and LinkedIn. We're pretty busy as a team on, and that tends to be where most of our new information comes out um, and best place to engage with us. It's probably there, but feel free. You'll, you'll find our contact information on our website as well. You can email us directly or pick up the phone. We're, we're a small team, but we love, we love a chat. So we're happy to chat to anyone, really. <laughs> Thanks so much to Melissa for giving up her time to speak to us. I found that really, really interested. And I'm very excited to see kind of what happens next on our new phase of space adventures, both commercially and from a kind of yeah, I, I want to see us go to Mars. I want to see us exploring the cosmos. That really does feel like the next step of the human endeavour. So it is an exciting time. Now, if you want to find out more about this podcast, we are on all the social media channels. You can follow us at The Brave Listen on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. I am contemplating TikTok. Well, uh, I think about it and then I think maybe it's not a great idea. If you want us to be on TikTok, maybe let me know. I have no idea what we would post. We also have a newsletter as well that goes out every couple of weeks. It's normally my kind of thoughts and writings on very similar subjects to the ones we cover in the podcast. So, you know, thinking about the future, what's coming our way, what are the trends we're going to see, how do we as individuals adapt, how should companies adapt, how should communities adapt. So you can find that on Substack, thebrave.substack.com. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode or this podcast in general, I would be really, really grateful if you would leave us a rating and or a review. It 
lets me know that I'm kind of doing something that people enjoy, which is always nice to get that kind of feedback. And also it helps the algorithm on Apple Podcasts and all the platforms essentially surface this content to more people. So more people would listen, which is great. But until next time, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your attention, especially in this world of Clubhouse and so many things now um, (laughs) vying for our audio listening capacity. So yeah, until next time, thank you so much. Bye.